Welcome to Frameline. I'm Barbara Kosofsky, here as usual with my favorite co-host and critic, Courtney Small. Hello, how are you today? Great, how are you? I am doing well. We we have survived Tiffmas. <laughs> Yet another Tiff, yep. <laughs> it's the gift that keeps on on giving. Um, and, you know, we, we can't even talk about half of the things that we, we've seen because we saw so many, but... That's right. And it keeps on giving, as in our backs still hurt, our necks still hurt, our brains still hurt. But <laughs> we will try to be as eloquent as possible as we discuss um, just a mere few of our favorites uh, that we haven't talked about yet um, as a way of wrapping up the festival. And mm-hmm. I'm going to start. I'm going to start with a film called Anatomy of a Fall, which, you know, look for it this fall. It's coming out soon, maybe in about a month, I think. Um, and Anatomy of a Fall won this year's Palme d'Or at Cannes. So it's it's one of the many films that was here from Cannes. And I, I just really enjoyed getting the chance to catch up on them. Um, so this film, it's about an investigation of a murder. It's like a murder mystery thriller mixed with a family drama in a sense, because uh, a man mysteriously dies and his wife is the prime suspect. And it actually, it's it's a French film. So it's called, an, excuse my French, but it's called Anatomy d'une chute. And um, I think that the connotations are different. Like, because, and also the way that the film proceeds, it's so meticulous and, uh, it's more of a forensic investigation of a marriage in many ways, in the way that that, that it tries to figure out exactly what happened. And uh, the filmmaker, Justine Triette, she's just uh, amazing in her style, in the way that she structures the film, in the way that, and it, it's great in the murder mystery thriller style, in the way that she gets you she sort of reveals something gets you to believe a version of the truth and then reveals something else that makes you question you know so because of the like forensic analytical nature of what happens and and the way that it proceeds the investigation is kind of like an autopsy as well like an autopsy of a marriage because you know no it's not a spoiler alert to tell you that the marriage was not it was rocky. Things were rocky. And you sort of get that sense even in the first scene. And it's interesting that she sort of gives you this clue using music. And I won't tell you the song that that she uses and the way it's used, because I don't really want to spoil anything. But this keeps you on the edge of your seat. Uh, Like I said, as it goes into the like it's like a, a Bergman's scenes from a marriage, Ingmar Bergman's scenes from a marriage. But don't get like freaked out that I'm like, you know, talking about all these artsy things and talking about it in this artsy way, because it also in many respects is like Sarah Pauli's stories we tell. It's like, which is a documentary, right? It's sort of like, how do you piece together the facts when you don't really have all the evidence? and what kind of choices people make. So in that sense, it's like Sarah Pauli's stories we tell. And there is a child involved and he's instrumental 
in how this film gets resolved. But even then, even the way it gets resolved, there's still a question in your head about what happens. And even the dog's behavior, even he needs an alibi. That's, that's the running joke among the critics. Even the dog in this film, he needs an alibi. So yeah, it's just like, it's the most fascinating. And uh, this German actress, Sandra Hüller, just incredible performance. I mean, all the performances are incredible, especially uh, the young man who plays their son. Absolutely incredible. Uh, but she's she's phenomenal. Like, if you thought she was phenomenal before, wait till you see this performance. Oh, that sounds good. And, you know, the next film that I'm going to talk about will also have um, Sandra Uller as well. But just one point when you're talking about trying to figure out who has the right story and all the different angles. It reminds me of another film that I saw that I really enjoyed that we're not going to talk about in depth in this episode because we'll obviously talk about it in an upcoming episode. But um, Monster, uh, the new film by Corrieta, it's one of those where it takes a very Rashomon-like style. So you see certain events and the story unfolds from different perspectives and people you don't necessarily think are important. You get kind of their version of events so it's it's kind of interesting that filmmakers are looking at how we analyze um different views and opinions especially when it comes to deciphering certain problems so yeah that sounds great and i, I know a lot of crews were raving about anatomy of a fall so it's high on my to see list um, as i said i saw the other sandra Uller film and it was also played con and i believe it won a prize the i think it was awarded the grand prix at, at this year's con festival and it's the zone of interest and i didn't really know much about this film going in outside the fact that it was directed by jonathan glazer which was enough for me he's the um, same director who made sexy beast um under the skin birth with nicole kidman so he's one of those directors if he has a film i will will see it but zone of the zone of interest is a film that offers a really unique and haunting take on the Holocaust. The entire film is told from the perspective of a Nazi soldier and his wife, and the wife is played by Miss Euler. And you essentially are just seeing their domestic life. Like they live in this pretty lavish house. Um, but the kicker is the house is pretty much like right by Auschwitz. Like, you know, they now, the other side of the fence, it, there's all this atrocity occurring. You do not see any of the atrocities. And, uh, you know, so if you're a little squeamish about Holocaust films specifically for that, you don't see it. But what makes it really haunting is, you know, all this stuff is going on around them as they are doing mundane things. And, you know, as you see them, the, the women will be talking about certain clothing and then it kind of clues in, well, wait, where did the, where did these clothes come from? And you start to piece together all the things. And, you know, that's what makes it like the whole mundane aspect of their life is what makes this film so haunting. And it's, it's just a really powerful film. Um, it's done with a lot of great care. As I said, it's a very touchy subject matter and it really shows you the depths of evil without being gratuitous like you know sometimes the the scariest thing is just how calm and how accepting people are of 
the atrocities and horrors that others are enduring. So highly recommend um, the zone of interests. It's, it's just a, a wonderful film um, and you'll definitely be hearing a lot more of it when it gets released this fall. Um, since we're talking about con titles, do you want to talk about evil does not exist? You know, I was, I was actually thinking about that when you were uh, speaking about evil and, uh, and how some people handle it how some people can just accept it um evil does not exist is such a subtle film that will absolutely if you're paying attention (laughs) will freak you out by the end i was in pieces at the end of this film and it's so it starts off it's so it's so beautiful in the sense that it takes place in this um very beautiful, serene type of place in the countryside in Japan. Yeah, a rural, a rural community. Yeah, and it focuses on this man, and he lives there with his daughter and, uh, you know, family members, but the community's very tight. It's a small community, but they're very tight. And it really spends a lot of time in the landscape and with them, you know, and so it builds up this beautiful sense of of being in nature of being at one with nature um and and just the gorgeousness of it that like this the peace and serenity like yeah using the same words i know over and over again um but uh before i continue i have to t- remind people that this is ryosuke's hamaguchi's film and he made drive my car which when they won the oscar for best international feature last year so I'll just remind you of that. And this is a very different film. So if you're going in expecting something like that, this is, uh, like I said, much more serene and slow, um, but not without its tensions, because what happens is that um, there's a group uh, that come in and they want to develop a certain section of the land. And it's a crucial, it's kind of a, in a critical spot that they don't really understand is going to affect the wildlife and it's going to upset the ecosystem. And it's going to have like disastrous environmental results, right? And they do have a meeting with the community and the community is trying to tell them. And so, you know, you see what happens when sort of they come head to head and how polite everybody is to one another. Um, and what Hamaguchi does is like really interesting after that he then shows you uh life from like these two people are representing the corporation and they come in to this community and then it go it follows them back to the city and sort of gives you an insight into their lives into what they have to deal with and things like that and then they what happens when they come back and um something happens and, and well I, I can't tell you anymore because it'll ruin it yeah but, you, you got to keep the the latter half a secret because it's it the latter yeah the latter part is just uh it's it's uh, it's an incredible twist that happens there are all sorts of twists that have been throughout the film but at the end and basically if you just pay attention because it's a simple film with you know the dialogue is critical as it is you know what people speak in movies for a reason right so so let's you know let's so 
So I'll just say, you know, like you just have to pay attention uh, because it's critical to what happens at the end to an understanding of why why something happens at the end. And it's it's a testament to Hamaguchi's um, skill as a filmmaker that he can craft something so powerful out of something so subtle and and really really make make a, such a strong statement and and also have this emotional impact on the viewer on the yeah, audience I, I i like the film um i think i would like it more had i been more awake when i saw it uh, because uh, yeah yeah it's um... i was i was tired um by time i got to see that film it was a, it was an evening screening and i already had watched a couple of films that day and it is a slower paced film to start um and i loved all the stuff with the commentary especially when they're talking about showing like how the developers don't care about communities that they're building in and the kind of tug of war and stuff but i when that when the film takes its turn and things happen i was a little slower on the uptake of it because i was just so tired um so i i'm looking forward to seeing this again with bright eyes because those who were far more awake than i was absolutely loved it <laughs> and i liked it and i appreciated it and i'm sure i probably would have loved it had i been uh far more attentive um to it and, that, and that's all i will will say about it but um the, the last note for a film like this and this is for those who may run cinemas turn the lights up gradually once the credits start because thank you for saying that by screening they the thing happens, you have this powerful ending, and then boom, the lights just came right on, and it was like, all yes. right, time for you to go home. And I was like, whoa, whoa, I need I need to kind of gradually process what just happened instead of them throwing me out. But um, still, yes, highly you know, yeah. recommend, recommend seeing yeah. people see especially that. Especially because, it, you know, I like fully, I was fully immersed in the film, and when it happened, what happened, like, I was deeply affected yeah, I definitely needed to sit in the dark with the credits for a few minutes. Like, I wouldn't have cared if people like kept walking, you know, by me. Audience members kept walking by me. That's fine. Just don't turn up the lights like that. Mm. Uh, that that is one criticism that I have of TIFF this year. Like, keep don't do that with the lights. <laughs> uh, I'm gonna switch gears slightly and and talk about a work that I thought was really fascinating but for for a different level um i'm going to talk about origin the new one the new work by Aver duvernay what struck me about this film is that she's essentially taking on the task of adapting the the novel um cast the origin of our discontent which was new york times bestseller um, from writer Isabel Wilkerson. Um, the book itself is great, but it's immensely dense. And it's a, a book that ties together the, I guess you could say, the origins of how or how the caste system in India relates to the Holocaust in Germany, which relates to the American slavery, Jim Crow era, all of that. So it's a it's a film about race, but more so how certain structures have been put in place in different societies so that people will look down on others, even if they look like them. Um, and 
it's a really dense book and anyone to try and adapt that book i give them credit because you know it could have easily been done as a miniseries but what duvernay does with this film is she focuses primarily on wilkerson herself and what caused her to write the book and do the research for it while she was dealing with her own personal grief um early on she loses her husband and she's kind of dealing with that and then there's other family members that become ill so you're you've got all these different balls in the air and i thought duvernay handled it with such tack and grace that it was it was quite fascinating to watch and then even how she's bringing out key concepts of the book and using you could say reenactments as characters are telling stories from the past and what have you there's times where the film almost feels like it could be a documentary even though you're watching actors performing like it's there's just a lot of craft in it that Duvernay has kind of hinted at in other films but it feels like she's really kind of pulled it together and the fact that it was all shot in 37 days independently is just a testament to like you know her being able to be experimental and and having that payoff really well and, and that's all I will say about Origin it's a film that once it gets released, we will definitely be unpacking a lot further because there's so much to to unpack. And, and if you haven't read Cass, um, I highly recommend it. It's a great book, and I believe it's also an audio format as well for those who like audiobooks. Um, do you want to talk about Solitude? It's a film that oh. you saw that I didn't hear much about, so I'm interested in your take. Solitude is a first feature by uh, a young woman, a young filmmaker from Iceland. And it is, it's incredible in its nuance, like that, that a first time filmmaker or a first time feature filmmaker um, could make something with such subtlety and great, like you use the word grace and I will use the word grace too. But it's funny for me to use the word grace because this film is about awkwardness and misunderstandings um, between people right um but it like the way that the film treats the two individuals that i'm about to tell you about um with such um with such caring and understanding you know uh, the main character is gunnar and gunnar he's used to being in living alone in his isolated farm which was bought out like by the government for, I missed the reason why that happened. Um, and so he lived for too long by himself. And then he decides to like move into the city and try like with the money he got, try to have a life there. And he moves into this sort of uh, like densely populated little neighborhood where like, you know, um, houses are pretty close together. It sort of reminds me of a co-op here, you know, where you're like looking or like a new development anyway. And um, so he, he keeps to himself, but there's this little boy, I guess he's about 10, Ari. And Ari is just very happy-go-lucky friendly. Um, he, It's like, he's not really comfortable. Like, it's like Ari's not really comfortable with friends and his parents are divorced. And like, so he's got problems. But for some reason, he he just reaches out to this guy, Gunnar, and he, Ari is the the newspaper delivery boy for the the neighborhood, 
and has a free at the end of his his um shift i'll call it he has a free newspaper and he's like hey welcome to the neighborhood would you like a free newspaper and gunnar's like no so that's their first encounter but ari keeps popping up on his doorstep you know and so after that initial friction there is something of a relationship that develops but due to awkwardness on both of their parts and due to misunderstandings because you've got this middle-aged man being friends with a young boy uh people especially the parents uh misunderstand things and neither of them can communicate very well that the misunderstanding is you know not the way like things are not what they seem right and so like things take off from there and like i said it's just a very nuanced beautiful and it's so mature in it, in the way that it it unravels human uh, interactions and the difficulties that people have communicating and and the hope that there is for people if they just try and they keep trying hard enough i hope that makes sense no but, it, you know, yeah i i does. went in there expecting nothing you know it was one of those films like oh this fits my schedule and it's it's a very memorable kind of film you know it's one of those heartwarming and it, it's it's a lesson i think it's a it's a lesson to us all to pay attention more mm-hmm. okay that sounds great that's in it's funny when you're talking about solitude a lot of what you were saying i think also applies to the holdovers um the new film by alexander payne uh, him payne is re Reuniting with Paul Giamatti, um, if you might remember, they did Sideways together several years ago. Um, and this new one, it's a 70s set film. Um, even before the film started, um, Alexander Payne talked about how he seems to be doing a lot of films in the 70s and 70s style. And this one is everything. The aesthetics, um, the times, place, uh, scenarios are all drenched in the 70s. but you have a comedy that I'd say is, you know, bittersweet at times. And it, it follows Paul Giamatti, who plays Professor Hunnam at this kind of prestigious boarding school. And he's very much an old school professor by the books, believes that you should be educating students and having them be leaders of the future and not, you know, um, people who get passes because their parents donate lots of of money but his stringent ways gets him in problems and trouble with his dean he's not really liked by most of his students and as a result he ends up getting the christmas duty of having to stay back and monitor the few students that will be staying at the boarding school for for christmas one of those students is a 15 year old by the name of angus who's got a bit of an attitude doesn't like hunnam um, so they are kind of at each other's throats. Um, of course, you know, they slowly start to figure out how to at least tolerate each other. And then the third person in this kind of makeshift trio family over the holidays is the cafeteria manager by the name of Mary. And she's played by Divine Joy Randolph. Um, some people might remember from the film, My Name is Dolomite. Uh, um, and she's 
wonderful in this film. And she plays the cafeteria manager whose son has recently died in Vietnam. So she's trying to do her job while dealing with this grief. And so you have these three individuals, each with their own kind of problems, each. I don't want to say outcast because Mary's not quite an outcast, but because of her grief, people don't quite understand what she's going through. And you have all these people over the Christmas holidays forced to kind of interact. And as the film goes on, they figure out how to form a, a friendship, a bond. There's a lot of hijinks that occur that probably wouldn't happen in real life, but for a movie that's definitely a Christmas-themed uh, film, it, it all works. And it's just one of those films that you laugh, you, you, you're touched by, and by the end of the day, you feel good about it. You know, Even as zany as some of the situations are, it's just a really nice movie about people realizing that life is difficult but sometimes you can get through it, even if it's with like the makeshift friends and family that you make for a brief period of time. So highly recommend the holdovers. I, I think it was second runner up in the people's choice voting. Yeah, so, I uh, so yeah. most people, I, I did not hear one bad review of it. So, so it, I think it's, it's going to be a, a crowd pleaser. Um, how about we shift gears and you talk about a difficult year. If you want to just briefly mention that one. It's funny, I was thinking about a difficult year when you oh, were okay. talking That's great. about because it's got a bit of a, you know, like when you were saying, you know, you don't really believe that some of these things would happen. And um, it, a difficult year relies on that. I mean, it is a satire. So, yeah, it's, it's definitely relying on uh, a little touch of suspension of disbelief because it's having fun satirizing society and satirizing especially consumerism uh but it's also it's about a group of protesters young people um that and it, I, when i say satirizing i'm not saying like it's it's being like viciously attacked like making fun of them poking fun it's just a little bit of humor when it comes to the whole you know seriousness of um anybody being part of a cause and that being their entire life and the sort of um regimented uh, um like belief that system like you have to be a certain way in order to be part of this group like you have you know you have to behave a certain way you have to live a certain way that kind of a, a thing and so they're they're always um they're always organizing protests and somewhere along the, well, actually right at the beginning. So actually when we first meet Bruno, he's really the, the person that, that we first meet. And then, then this focus sort of shifts, but we first meet him sort of getting a TV at a, a black Friday sale. Right. And he, he's like fighting with the protesters who are saying, you know, Consumerism's bad. Black Friday's bad, right? It's bad for the earth. It's bad for the environment. And Bruno has this scheme with it, and he's trying to like take advantage of this guy Albert, and you know it goes bad. But somehow Bruno, and I'm not going to tell you how, <laughs> Bruno ends up saving Albert's life, but also getting the two of them involved in this this group. They sort of crash this event that 
that is staged. But they they both fall, but especially Bruno falls for their beautiful leader, who is played by Naomi Madelon, who people will know, right? And so it's this mix and mash of like fighting for the environment, fighting this, fighting that, knowing that Bruno and Albert are actually like you, you're always wondering what are these two up to, but. They seem to be going along. They seem to be suddenly shifting, but because of the comedic nature, because of the tone, the, the tone of the film is sort of hyper real. You're like, this isn't really, they're not really getting into this, right? And like, you're just waiting, kind of, you know how you're waiting for the other shoe to fall? Mm-hmm. Um but because it, yeah, and it's a social satire, so yeah, it it has it's it's really effective in making fun and and giving like the audience was really laughing hard when I when I saw it. So it, it's a lot of laughs this one, and the ending because of the hyper real quality of the film, the ending works, and the, because the ending goes off somewhere that you never would have expected, and. I think it works. So it's just you know something different, a palate cleanser. And okay. yeah, for the for the festival, but also, you know, in your in the next year, whenever it comes out, maybe in the fall, when it comes out, it'll be fun. Okay. It's funny when you were talking about the the activism part, it made me think of a film that I saw towards the end of the festival called Sisterhood um, by Nora L. I believe the last name is Horch. Uh, my apologies if I mispronounced that name. And it's a really interesting film told from the perspective of three best friends. Um, these three 15-year-old girls that are growing up in France and essentially dealing with what it is like to be a teenage girl, especially in the the Me Too era. Um the, the crux of this film is that one of the girls gets harassed, sexually harassed um, by her brother's best friend. Um, he traps her in a bathroom at one point and, and kisses her without her consent. The friends decide he needs to be taught a lesson. Um, so they set up a sting because they know he's going to try and do something like that again. And they actually film him as he's being aggressive. Um, And one of the girls decides she's going to upload the video, but she covers the faces. And that sets off a huge storm um, amongst the the three girls because obviously the guy finds out about the video. Even though his face is not shown, he starts threatening um, the girls individually because he's a very, you know, intimidating individual. Um, And the main girl who posted it has to decide whether or not she should keep it up or or take it down um the girl that was the one that got kissed didn't give her the approval to put up the video and the other friend who is black the the other two girls are, i believe of arabic descent um she's also getting a lot of pushback partly from the same guy but just the fact that she's a a young black woman in in France. So she's going to have to put up with a lot more than the two other girls, especially the one who posted the video that is very white passing. 
So this film tackles a lot of things. It, you know, it delves heavily to the issue of race and privilege, um, while also talking about how boys from like a young age are taught to be hyper aggressive and don't respect women and don't respect boundaries and how teenage girls have to essentially kind of stand up for themselves. And even when they do, and when they're in the right for standing up for themselves, they are still looked down upon um, and told to kind of know their, their place. So it's a really interesting film. Um, I don't think all the ideas work. Um, I think there's a few times where it delves into the aspects and the issues of race a little much um, compared to what the the boy does. And, you know, there's sometimes where they're having conversations and talking about race, but not addressing the fact that, hey, this guy's in the wrong. He's a serious problem, not just because he's aggressive, but the way how people are treating him. Like, I, I wish they kind of delved into the the male responsibility a little bit more than it does but still they find a way to tie everything together as although they've got all these different strands and and it works and it's definitely a film that is blunt about its message but in this day essentially you you have to be and it's what i liked is how they kind of show the hypocrisy um at the various levels like the parents the school the even amongst the girls when they're dealing with, with this issue. So that was sisterhood. Um, one I would recommend. And another one along the same lines, when we're talking about hypocrisy, one of the films that I was recommending the most to people when everyone's saying, Oh, what's a film that, you know, is not getting talked about a lot that people should see. Um, it's toll. Um, the new film by Carolina Markowitz, um, Ms. Markowitz had a film at TIFF last year called Charcoal, um, which was a, a dark comedy, which I, I enjoyed, but I thought Toll was leaps and bounds. Like you could just see the progression um, as a filmmaker, as a storyteller. And the crux of Toll is you have a mother and son who are in Brazil and they're they're at odds because the son is open about his sexuality, makes a lot of TikTok videos, what have you. The mother is a little disturbed and upset when her coworkers start sharing the video amongst their WhatsApp group chat and kind of poking fun at her son. So she essentially wants him to kind of hide who he is, you know, quote unquote, act straight, if you will. And, she gets it in her head via a co-worker that she should enroll her son in conversion therapy. There's this guy coming from out of the country who's this expert and apparently has put many people back on the right path and it's coming through this church. So she, how do I say, she gets herself involved in some underhanded um, deeds via an ex-boyfriend who she got rid of because he was involved in underhanded deeds to make money to pay for this conversion therapy program. So we see as she's going through this, as the son's getting pushed through this conversion therapy program, and as you're observing their dynamics kind of change um, with this kind of conversion program being the big wedge in the middle, we start to see the hypocrisy both in the, the mother, but also a lot of the people she associates with especially the the people that were pushing her to 
do this and the people that are quote unquote you know christian and whatnot so it's a really fascinating look at um how people are swayed into believing things that don't necessarily fit with what people are saying um you know they're told to do one thing but the people who are telling them to do that are not necessarily adhering to the same type of beliefs and and, and values so it's it's a really fascinating film but it's just well shot great performances um and there's a lot of tension in it that keeps you interested up to the the very end so highly recommend toll um if if you guys get a chance to see that when it comes out um do you want to talk about death of a whistleblower yes um interesting to talk about that after the film you have just uh, spoken about death of a whistleblower a film from south africa by ian gabriel and i was really impressed with this film it's a thriller uh as the title suggests it's about uh what happens to whistleblowers in south africa what has been happening so it's based on uh, you know conglomeration of like real experiences and real events uh, put together into one film it's action-packed it's high energy uh, sometimes it's frighteningly real and sometimes it requires a bit of suspension of disbelief only in the sense that you know when you're watching a thriller it's not like watching an action movie or a marvel movie or you know a star wars movie like where people are capable of doing things that look a little beyond the real right let me just, like say it that way um, but I went along with the suspension of disbelief, like I suspended mine anyway, because it was so compelling. The story was so compelling and it, it just, it felt, it did feel authentic. Uh, it felt genuine. And I didn't know that it was based on, on real stories. I found that out later. Sometimes I don't like to read too much about a film before I go into it. I just want to let the film tell me what it's about. Um, so this one uh, follows a journalist, Luanda Masinda, and she's an investigative journalist. Uh, and what happens is she has to continue the investigation that her friend Stanley Galloway started. And it's a very complicated investigation into all sorts of shady dealings by the government and whistleblowing going on. Um and especially this one project and Stanley Galloway, no spoiler there, he's killed. And so she is then, she decides, but in a way she sort of ob feels obligated to continue his investigation, the people she meets along the way, the dangers she encounters along the way, uh, the, the dangers that other people that she encounters, you know, like it, it's it's all very compelling and it moves so quickly and I went right along with it. You know, it's it's one of those films that's easy to follow. Um, easy to follow as in you really want to, you're on the edge of your seat. You really want to know what happens. And then when you find out that it's based on real, real experiences, real stories. And also the, the, the most shocking thing for me was finding out some of the the actual facts of life and politics in South Africa over the past you know decades, including um, the Truth and Reconciliation Commission that they held, and some of 
the thing the the nasty things that resulted from that so i think this is a film i, I hope that this gets released a wide release somebody picks it up and i hope a lot of people go see it and um i'm telling you you will be absolutely riveted okay that sounds great um let's just wrap things up by quickly mentioning two canadian films which i know will probably delve deeper into closer to their release but i will start off with um seagrass it's the debut film by meredith hemma brown and i was quite taken by this film it's a a slower paced film uh, it's really a meditation on relationships grief identity um all wrapped up into a really fascinating package and it, it follows a family um the mother is judith played by ali Mackey, and she's japanese canadian and her husband steve who's i guess just straight white canadian um they are going to this group couples therapy session that also seems to have like a family camp um portion to it so while their kids are off at camp you know trying to make friends dealing with the you know issues that come with when you're like 11 and 6 and in a in a strange environment with kids who don't necessarily have your same background the parents are in this group therapy session where steve doesn't quite seem to understand why he's there he just knows his wife is unhappy but not sure how and a lot of Judith's unhappiness stems partly from the the recent passing of, of her mother, but also with the mother gone, she starts to question her identity and the fact that, you know, she's, I guess, kind of neglected the Japanese side to more assimilate to the, the um, Canadian side of things. And it's a really fascinating film. I don't want to divulge too much because I don't want to spoil it, but... I was really quite taken with it. The performances are great. There's a lot of emotion that brews. And when things erupt, they erupt in a way that felt authentic. Um, and I like that this is the type of film that you go away thinking about a lot of the themes. Not everything is wrapped up in a, in a nice little bow. Like um, Hamma Brown really lets kind of things linger and leaves it to the audience to kind of make the final decision on what they think of it. So I highly recommend Seagrass. And another film that, you know, I'll let you talk about that I was also a big fan of is Solo. So do you want to just wrap things off with Solo? Yes, I'm a big fan of Solo. And I don't want to talk about it too much this time because it's coming out. So I want to tell everybody about that more in time for them to remember to go to this and see this. And it's great to see this on a big screen uh, because of the it, it's set in in a club atmosphere, like it's set in the drag queen sort of in a club, right? So it's got this really vivid, like vivid aesthetic, vivid colors. It's um, it's just vivacious, like that's what the description said, and I, I that's words stuck in my head because it's just it really comes to life in this film so you've got that um and it focuses on this one um drag queen uh, simon and he's played by um, theodore pellerin uh, and who was a rising star at tiff in 2017 
So that star rose in here is in uh, in this amazing film, which uh, I loved it because of the contrast between that world, all the performances that uh, that everybody, you know, it sets up this sort of community there, but then it also sets up Simone's private life and the family and the kind of difference between the way Simone is there and the way Simone is without the costumes on and uh, this relationship that he embarks on and and how we learn more about the inner world of Simone and uh, how he relates to two very important people in his life and how they are lacking. They can't, they can't not provide, it's not just him, it, but they just cannot provide anything of substance to anyone really. That's it. Yeah. That's all I'm going to say because I'm going to like tell you more. <laughs> yeah, no, no, that's that's a a great um, summary. I as I said, I was quite taken with this film. I think it looks great. There's we can really delve into the, those two particular people in Simone's life um, yes. and how they interact with with them. It's 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 a fascinating film, and I. Like I said, we we're going to talk about it closer to its release, but I I quite enjoyed this film. It was another one that I was raving a lot about during the the festival. Yes, I'm glad it won the best Canadian uh, feature, and mm-hmm. I hope that you know it gets a lot of attention when it comes out. Yeah, and it was a it was a really strong year for for Canadian films. I think I would even argue the last two years have been yeah phenomenal. Like we we're, we're really seeing a. Re- resurgence in Canadian filmmaking and a lot of bold, creative, innovative filmmakers are, are coming out with work. So I had I'm very pleased with the trajectory of this of this country's cinema. Yes, absolutely. I agree. Okay. I think that is all for our coverage of the Toronto International Film Festival for 2023. Thanks everybody for being here with us. For Courtney Small, I'm Barbara Guslowski. This has been Frameline. Thanks for listening.